this morning could use that strength and could use that solace. There's not one of us who doesn't feel the need for those things. Some of us here this morning are hoping that you will give it to us and we know that it will only come from your hand. Others of us here this morning aren't sure. We don't know where we'll find it. So Father, wherever we are, inside of faith or outside of it or struggling, um, meet us. Use this word that we have read and heard together to point us to the word that bears our flesh, our elder brother Jesus. Show us his grace and change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I have one sibling. He's a brother who's um, maybe two and a half, three years older than I am. And when we were kids, uh, our, my mom developed this really, I think, pretty incredible strategy to keep us from snooping around the house uh, and looking for Christmas presents. I don't remember exactly how old I was when she started doing this, but I'm sure that mom put this plan into effect as soon as she realized we were old enough and dumb enough to have the inclination to ruin Christmas morning by looking for presents. So here is how my mom's plan worked. She would tell us exactly where the presents were hidden. (laughs) She would tell us uh, as plainly as she could that the presents were hidden in the closet, off the dining room, underneath the stairs, and further, those presents are not wrapped. If you walk into that closet, you will see everything. She told us if we wanted to ruin Christmas morning, we certainly could. She drew up the plans to help us ruin Christmas morning if we wanted to. Now, I know that for some kids that wouldn't have worked, but for my brother and I, it worked perfectly. We, we could definitely go in and ruin Christmas morning, but who wanted a lame Christmas morning with no surprises? We didn't. So year after year, the Baker boys left the presents alone. And, you know, in some ways, I think it actually ratcheted up the mystery and ratcheted up the joy a little bit to know that they were there and that we could see them, but it would be better if we didn't. The good stuff was hidden in plain sight. But Christmas morning was coming, and everything would be revealed. And i got to tell you, I think this is exactly, exactly the kind of thing that Jesus is saying in these three parables that we just read together. The good stuff is hidden in plain sight. And one day, the whole world is going to see all of it. Now, unlike my mom, and this is really, really important, unlike my mom, Jesus doesn't want us to leave the good stuff alone. (laughs) He wants people like you and me to search as hard as we can until we find it, because it will be the best thing that we ever find. All right, so Jesus starts the first parable with a question. Is a lamp to be brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? It's a very simple question with a really obvious answer. Of course, you bring in a lamp to light the room. It'd be ridiculous to hide a lamp. It has no purpose under beds and under baskets. So that simplicity um, jogs us into thinking, why, why in the world is Jesus talking about lamps in the first place? So it would be good to remember, like I said just a couple of minutes ago, that the parables, they're about the kingdom of God. Jesus said... In them are the secret of the kingdom of God. That's what these are. They're little pictures. Little pictures of what God's rule among us and God's rule in his world are like. 
They're pictures that say this is what God's rule looks like and this is what it smells like and this is what it feels like and this is what it sounds like. This is how we live in it. This is how we love in it. This is what makes sense in it. And this is what doesn't make sense in the kingdom of God. So this lamp and all of the light that it brings, this they are about the kingdom that Jesus came to announce, that he came to embody. And honestly, he's telling his friends that it certainly appears to be hidden right now and small and strange, right? If you've been reading along with us, you know his family isn't buying what he's saying. The religious leaders, the political leaders want to destroy him, and his vision of the kingdom doesn't fit into the dreams and visions of what normal people had for the kingdom, whether it's a a social dream or vision or a religious one or a political one. Jesus is talking about stuff that doesn't fit into any of those normal categories. And the 12, they are scratching their heads over what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom, Jesus is saying, right now it's hid under all kinds of baskets and beds, and I'm telling strange stories about it. But one day, one day, These things that he is whispering about in these little subversive stories are going to be screamed from the rooftops of the whole world. It'll be the best thing the world has ever heard. And this is how Jesus expresses this. He says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. All right, let me say it again. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest or secret, except to come to light. It probably goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, that this runs counter to basically everything that we hold to be true. (laughs) Just, Just ask a criminal, right? Or ask a toddler with a cookie behind her back. Or ask a politician who has presented with a smoking gun of a financial statement. Right? We don't hide things so that they come to light. We hide things because we want them hidden. But not so in God's kingdom. And church, this is just one of the many ways that the kingdom of God is a scandalous place. It doesn't look like we expect it to look. It doesn't look like we dream it would look. And I have to tell you, the more that we can get our heads and hearts around the fact that this kingdom is unlike other kingdoms the more beautiful it becomes. If anyone has ears to hear, Jesus says, then let them hear. That beauty that is present in this kingdom is also present in this invitation. It is latent in this invitation that Jesus gives next. This is what he says, pay attention to what you hear. Because with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. To the one who has, more will be given. You may know there's a whole Shakespeare play written about this little saying of Jesus called Measure for Measure. It's about human justice. I have to say, totally misses the point of what Jesus is saying here. It's a really simple thing that Jesus is saying, easy to understand in the context of all that's come before. He's just saying to the extent, the extent to which you listen to me closely is the extent to which you'll get the benefit of what I'm saying. The more you listen, the more you'll get. 
And I don't know how that sounds to you, but to me, that is an incredibly alluring invitation. It's like Jesus is saying that his words are like this deep, dark, cool lake and the life and the forgiveness and the newness that you can get out of that lake. It's inexhaustible. The thirstier you are for those things, the more that you will get, and it will never stop coming. If you want to keep drinking forever, you can, because that deep, dark, cool lake is always going to be there, and it will have absolutely no problem outpacing your thirst. Drink away. Or maybe to put it another way, it's like Jesus is saying that his, his words and this kingdom, they're like the most amazing piece of music that you've ever heard. Just think about whatever it is that you like, whatever music you like. And as long as you want to hear it, that music will keep on playing. And it will get better and better and more beautiful. And it will never stop astounding you. And it will never stop changing you. As long as you have ears to hear it, it doesn't ever have to end. So really the question that Jesus is hoping will ask and hoping the people that are listening to him will ask is, do, do I really have ears to hear that? Which may be underneath it, the better question is, how do we hear that? How do we listen for that? So let me suggest just two ways that we can be sure that we're listening to Jesus. I'm going to tell you these are not odd, counterintuitive things that are hard to figure out. They're not magic bullets that no one knows anything else about. You probably already know what I'm going to say, because the church has been saying it to one another for millennia, and that doesn't detract from their importance, it intensifies their importance. One of the ways that we can hear from Jesus is by doing what we're doing together right now. We hear from Jesus when we worship together, and of course that happens because when we worship together, we literally hear from Jesus. We hear his words read. We read them to one another. We pray about them, think about them, meditate on them, talk about them. We sing them to one another. But the hearing that happens when we are gathered together for worship goes even deeper than that, because when we worship together, we are also forming ourselves around his kingdom. And we are shaping ourselves around the values of that kingdom. Right? We're not just hearing about grace. We're not just hearing that grace is a thing that could be, that is maybe, out there somewhere. We are speaking grace to one another. In the assurance of pardon, we are hearing it and receiving it. Right? When we worship together, we're not just thinking about the peace that Jesus offers, the peace that can rest in us and on us, even if everything else around us is chaotic. We're not just thinking about it. We're not just thinking about the fact that we have um, entered possibly into a new family, that, that the gospel unites people. We don't just think about those things. We look each other in the eye, and we touch each other's hands, and we speak peace to the family that has been made by Jesus. You know, we don't just hear that forgiveness of sins is a thing and it's possible. We eat it and we drink it and we pour it over the heads of our children. There is no other way in this world to get at those things than this. 
Worship strengthens our appetites and our imaginations and our abilities to live as Christians like nothing else can. I don't care how many books you read and how good they are. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to and how great they are. They're probably great. It doesn't matter if your radio is locked in on Christian radio and your TV on a Christian TV station. None of those things can do what this does. One of the ways that we hear through Jesus, from Jesus, is through worshiping together every week. And when we miss that, we miss something really important. Another way that we can hear from Jesus is through reading scripture and prayer. When, I mean, when we read scripture and we pray, we're literally meeting with Jesus to hear from him in these places that he is most often found and most often heard in. He comforts us there when we read and pray. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his encouragement when we read scripture and pray. He gives us a tangible sense of his presence with us. And I could never overstate how important that is for people like you and me. Right? I talked about this in the New Year's letter a couple weeks ago. I talked about it again in the congregational meeting last week. There is a very low risk, an infinitesimal risk, that I could talk about this too much. So let me say it again. It's really important for us. I mean, if having a plan to read through the Bible would help you, there are on the welcome table. You can take a couple of them, as many as you need. There's all kinds of apps that are super helpful for this. The one I'm over the moon about right now is just called Read Scripture. It's really good. But the point, the point is just to read Scripture at a pace that makes sense to you, that you can do, and to pray when you do. <laughs> That's one of the ways that we hear Jesus. It's one of the ways we have ears to hear, measure for measure. And listen, I know, believe me, from my own experience, that there are lots of tyrannies that fight against us, putting ourselves in these places. And, you know, here's, here's what I can say about that. They're tyrannies. <laughs> That's what they are. They're tyrannies. They, they are rules and rulers in our life to which we give power. And when we give them power, they snatch us away from the only other rule that could actually challenge us and actually change us and give us new life. Listen, none of those tyrannies, being busy, being tired, being stressed out, pursuing leisure, pursuing work, pursuing distraction, listen, none of those things has ever changed anyone's heart. <laughs> none of those things has ever offered forgiveness or real community ever. The only thing that does that is Jesus. There is no other unending beautiful symphony, symphony that grows in its power to renew us. It is only Jesus. So next, Jesus tells a pair of parables that get at the hiddenness from another angle. Both of these Parables have a little bit of unexpectedness and scandal shaken into them. First, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man scattered seed on the ground. And then Jesus goes on to describe uh, exactly what happens after that. In fact, what he describes is the same thing that's happened anytime any farmer anywhere has sown seed, right? He goes to sleep at the end of the night, gets up the next morning, and so on and so forth. I'm sure that the farmer has important stuff to do every day, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story from Jesus' angle is that the seed sprouts and grows. The earth 
produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Jesus says the farmer has no idea how it happens. He just knows that it's harvest time at the end. You know who, who wouldn't like that story very much? The zealots wouldn't like that story very much. There's one of them in the 12 in Jesus' inner circle, Simon. For them, the kingdom was going to come by sword. It was going to come by might. As far as the zealots were concerned, they would bring in the kingdom of God through spilled blood and the glory of revolution. Who is Jesus to come along and say that they would have nothing to do with bringing the kingdom of God in? That it would happen without their effort, quietly and silently, while they slept, without them knowing a thing about it. You know, you know who else wouldn't like that story? The Pharisees wouldn't like that story. They, you know, they thought they had it figured out. They, ha- they thought they had it figured out that the real thing that keeps God from ushering in his rule in the world and among us was that... His people were so terribly unholy. And if they got their acts together and followed this set of complicated rules, then surely God would take note and finally come. Who is Jesus? Who is this guy, really, to come along and say that holy living wasn't going to be what brought about the kingdom? Who is Jesus to say that they wouldn't have anything to do with it, that the kingdom coming wouldn't be about what you did or didn't do, that it would happen quietly in the night while they slept without them knowing a thing about it? And you know who else doesn't like this story? Me. And maybe you. I don't know. Who's Jesus to say that I can't just wake up tomorrow morning and remake myself? You know, I have a pretty strong will, and if I want to start being better tomorrow, then I'll just do it. And who's Jesus to say that I have to wait for him to root out this brokenness and fallenness and sin in my life, these patterns, these things that I keep on doing? You know what, Jesus? I'll do it right now. You've never seen me really motivated. I can be convincing. Tell me it's going to happen while I'm asleep. You see how this works, church? Of course. Of course, I should do everything that is in my power to grow in love towards God. I should do everything in my power to grow in love towards my neighbors. I should do everything in my power to weaken and humiliate the sin that drives me so many of the decisions that I make. Of course, I should do that. Absolutely, of course, I should make good on the prayer that we pray. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I should get up off my knees and I should do everything that I can to plant flags of that kingdom in everywhere where I have influence. That is not a question. But if any of us begin to operate under the mistaken assumption that it is our effort that makes things new, that the world has changed at the advent of the kingdom of me, then we put ourselves in a harmful, hurtful, dangerous place. We will end up very angry people or very despairing people because we just can't get it done. And Jesus wants us to know there is a better way. It is the truth (laughs) that the harvest of God's kingdom will come and it is growing now silently and hidden 
and in ways that we cannot fathom. But the day is coming. The day is coming. As the prophet Joel said, the harvest will be ready in the valley of decision. The day is coming, and it will be revealed. Then Jesus switches a little bit. He asks, to what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed sown on the ground. Now, Jesus is speaking proverbially here. The the mustard seed was probably the smallest seed any of his hearers were familiar with. And yet, Jesus says, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the other garden plants. And it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And, you know, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you know that this happens all the time, right? Grass and vines and trees stand in for all kinds of things in the Old Testament. In fact, there are even two well-known places in the Old Testament where great kingdoms are described as cedar trees. Powerful cedar trees that tower up into the clouds and reach into heaven. In these two places, the, these cedar trees are described as being so tall and so stately and so firm that they can be seen from the ends of the earth. You know, do you know what, do you know what a mustard tree is, though? Mustard tree is a scrappy little shrub. It might be the biggest thing in the garden, but it's just a shrub. It's nothing compared to a cedar. Why why would Jesus do this? Why would he compare the gracious and peaceable reign of God in his world to a little shrub? Wouldn't you look past a thousand shrubs with little birds in it? to gaze on a stately cedar just seems like a strange unexpected kind of kingdom it sounds like the kind of kingdom that you have to be like a child to get into it sounds suspiciously like the kind of kingdom and that might be populated with the mourners and the meek and the hungry and the thirsty and the persecuted and the poor and the vulnerable, and the outcast, and the unclean. It sounds suspiciously like a kingdom where tax collectors and prostitutes get the best seats in the house, and where ridiculous sons who've wasted everything good that they've ever had get treated to the party of a lifetime. It sounds like a kingdom that's ruled by a king who said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Sounds like a kingdom that is ruled by a king who did that for me and for you so that we could be forgiven, so that he could happily call us his sisters and his brothers. In other words, I think it sounds like the best kingdom that we've ever heard of precisely because it is like no other kingdom we have ever heard of. And there is a place for you and me there as we follow Jesus in repentance and faith. And i got to be honest and tell you, it's not a kingdom I would have been on the lookout for if Jesus hadn't told me to be on the lookout for a scrappy shrub with birds from all over on it, hidden in plain sight. (laughs) May God give us the eyes that we need to see it, the ears that we need to hear it. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we ask that you would help us to hear these parables, these strange, cryptic little stories, and believe. To believe that your kingdom, despite everything that we see around us, division, anger, hurt, trouble, pain, despite all of the stuff that we see around us, to believe that your kingdom is indeed present and growing among us, and that one day, one day it will be all that we see everywhere. Help us to believe and help us to live in light of that future that is certainly coming. Make us people who are hungry and who are thirsty for more and more and more. Father, do this for our good and do this for the good of the broken world around us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand with me. May the love of God the Father and the grace of Jesus the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. To remind ourselves that we cannot do life on our own, nor can we do the Christian life on our own, let's take a few moments to extend a greeting to the person standing next to us. Let's sing together. The Lord is King, lift up your voice. O earth and all, ye heavens rejoice. Who world to earth, the joy shall ring. The Lord omnipotent is King, sing His praise. 